Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking, first of July, actually. It's been a while. We had the July 4th weekend, but we are back, and I got the Oracle of Somerville, the impervious Sean Bush with us. How are you doing today? Uh, back after a little sun and fun, uh, slightly less white, not quite tan yet, but uh, it kind of feels like summer in this in this post-COVID world. It does. I got burned pretty bad at the beach today, but uh, you know, I'm ready to trade and I'm ready for Monday's action. But before we get to that, let's do as we always do and talk about our bet that we made, made May 1st. You have BRK, or excuse me, I have BRKB, Berkshire, and you have Triple Q, the NASDAQ 100. So returns from May 1st, I am up 13 bips, so pretty awesome return. You are up 24%, and the market is up 12.3% during that time. So it's going to take a miracle at this point for me to get back in the game, um, up by 24%. You know, those are returns over two years, not a couple months. So congratulations. Uh, I think that $100 is, is pretty much yours, but I'm not giving up just yet. Uh, miracles do happen. So who knows? And quite a uh, run for tech. Another week, another data point that that was the, the easiest bet of all time. And yet another week where I find it hard to be bullish on the queues based on how high they've run up. And look forward to next week again being wrong on that sentiment because we'll get into this in a bit. The market does not seem to care about what prices are and it'll continue going higher. So let's, uh, you know, let's get into the rest of the week here. Yeah, and this week, for the first time in a long time, I actually think there is some significant news on the wire, uh, not just on a single day, but actually all through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that news would be bank earnings. And I am a huge uh, proponent of earnings driving the market. I actually think that in many cases is the main driver, Um, especially during COVID. We saw first quarter earnings probably kind of lead the bull market there, Um, earnings being a little bit better than was expected by Wall Street. Uh, but yeah, I think bank earnings this week is going to be great. We got all six big banks, you know, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, um, Goldman, Wells Fargo. Um, who else? Well, let's actually just read it. So Tuesday, we got JPM, Citi, Wells Fargo. Wednesday, Goldman Sachs. Thursday, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley. So those three days are going to be a big one to watch uh, for both of us. So I'd love to hear what your expectations are. If you have any trades up your sleeve, um, bank earnings big thing coming forward. Anything else uh, over the week or uh, let's hear what you got on bank earnings first. Well, very exciting to be moving back into some, some meaningful earnings. That was definitely a uh, eye opening um, period back when, when first quarter earnings came out, certainly with a lot of very impressive beats considering the uh, difficult uh, situation and landscape with COVID. And then also some, uh, pretty shocking uh, numbers posted, but almost across the board guidance was pulled. So it'll be fascinating to sort of see what investors' sentiment is with guidance being 
being pulled and probably continuing uh, to not be available for future quarters. Um, but to your point there, the, the big earnings this week looking ahead are absolutely financials. And definitely before, you know, looking at the week ahead of here, just a couple notes on uh, the week closed last week. So sort of another choppy week, uh, a little range bound. It looked like the bears are about to take control with some selling early Thursday, but a rescue operation uh, and a nice rally on Friday, the SPY, the SPY 500 ETF uh, closes at 317.59, um, which closes above uh, the uh, close from June 10th before that big gap down in sell-off. And that really opens the door for an early week trading range of 320 to 323, which was the trading range of that week before the big gap down in sell-off. And if we see a, a big move with some follow-through above 323, I think that very much sets up a run for uh, an all-time high in the, the near-term time frame. So um, up until that rally Friday, it did look like there there was a chance for a lot of volatility, obviously with the selling, but um, the VIX did not seem to be dropping uh, and matching the, the rallies. And also we saw TLT, um, the Treasury note ETF, which is uh, another favorite indicator of mine as far as uh, indications that we're moving to a risk off scenario, potentially a sell off. Uh, and investors are looking for a safer hedge. And TLT was rallying um, pretty heavily earlier in the week, but um, uh, all indications at the close Friday point to to bull. So um, always believing that it's more important to follow the tape and let the price action rule there. Um, but in this case, I think all signs point to a, a bullish week ahead or early week. But, you know, certainly we can't expect that there won't be any selling. So looking at the week ahead here, um, I, I know that you're very bullish about bank earnings. And in the middle of the week, I, I, I think this is definitely more of a make or break uh, type earnings uh, than, than one I'm bullish about. And the reason for that is one, on Friday we saw the NASDAQ um, really show a little weakness while the rest of the uh, market was rallying, particularly in finance as well as energy and materials. Uh, so that type of sector rotation could definitely be viewed as a healthy sign for um, a continued bull rally, um, considering how much of that rally has just been driven by higher and higher highs in the tech space. And just real quick note, uh, Netflix, Amazon, and especially Tesla last week uh, appear to be unstoppable to almost an insane level. Uh, and for the most part, the rest of the market really hasn't participated the same way. So to see a strong showing, particularly from finance, which has been and continued to be uh, beaten down, um, definitely gives me a, a bullish sentiment going er into the week early here. I think, um, you know, looking at XLF, uh, which is at a very low level relative to you know, what it was trading at even a month ago. I see a ton of value there, but um, there is a significant amount of risk at the same time with banks. Um, there's sort of a technical case there for a very bullish outlook. But if you go back to uh, when our buddy Jerome Powell uh, was discussing the bank stress test, there's a lot of uh, news and information that I think almost fell under the radar there, even though there was a bit of selling in the financials. One, that dividends are going to be limited, um, which definitely does not paint a very bullish case, or I don't know what we could get out of these earnings that really uh, will counteract that, that particular limitation. And then also with interest rates so low, uh, and they will continue to be low, basically no chance they'll be raised uh, either this year or even really next based on Jerome Powell's comments. Uh, it definitely seems like there is a lot of uh, challenges to, to raising 
uh, earnings there in the financial space. And then the other big uh, elephant in the room there is I think we're going to learn about, you know, what the current state is of consumer debt in terms of how many people are failing to make mortgage payments, you know, is forbearance, uh, particularly in that, that mortgage space, going to become uh, an issue, um, dragging the banks down even more than they already are. And with certain players like Wells Fargo already saddled by a significant amount of fines and penalties from previous uh, chicanery and malfeasance, um, they certainly do not look like a, a uh a play that I'm, I'm looking to invest heavily in, even though, you, you know, from your point of view, great value, you know, <laughs> I don't think they can go much lower than there, but I also, you know, don't have a ton of upside. So there's, there's a good case that can be made for, for either side there. So uh, again, as far as market wide, I think you definitely need to look at this early week uh, with a bull perspective, but um, be open to that changing, especially if the the wreckage in the bank space in the mid uh, middle part of the week is a lot worse than than expected. Yeah, I hear you on uh, Wells Fargo. I mean that that certainly for me is has been a value trap since I've owned it, but continue to be a a bull uh, just because I think so much negative news is priced in. I mean, all, all the banks in the first quarter at a pretty significant low loss provision. So for those who don't know, banks make a forecast of how much money they think they're going to lose on loans. That forecast figures into EPS. So you can have EPS that's getting pulled down um, by a significant amount, even if the banks actually haven't taken the losses yet. So banks have forecasted losses for themselves. Investors certainly have forecasted it in the stocks. Um, you look at Wells Fargo, right? This is a stock that's been trading below book, uh, I think right now it's around 70 or 80% of book. Um, since COVID started, even before COVID, I think it was trading below there. Um, you know, JP Morgan and Bank of America are trading at a healthy premium to, to book. I think people are thinking they're going to do a little bit better. But you take your pick of uh, City and then also some of the smaller banks, whether it's Capital One, Discover, KeyBank, Fifth, Third, like all of these guys are, are just really beaten down valuations. So the market is forecasting in depth. Um, I think it's going to be a scenario where any small surprise to the upside, um, we're going to see a significant rally. Like you think about last time around, I think uh, Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan had some pretty bullish comments that drove the market. So I think the risk is to the upside. Um, there's definitely a case where we see banks disappoint and it's as bad or worse than people think. But overall, if I'm trading options into this, I'm very bullish on the bank's um, to that end, do you have any options plays you're looking at going into earnings for the yeah, banks? You know, d despite what probably sounds like a, a pretty bearish uh, outlook on banks, um, premiums are pretty cheap there. So um, I've got uh, no qualms about um, getting in a few lottos for especially Bank of America and uh, JP Morgan, as well as the XLF, um, hoping for some upside there. And it really doesn't seem like there is much lower the banks could go. So uh, knowing what we saw about, at least in other industries, earnings uh, in the previous quarter, um, as long as the, the earnings weren't a flaming dumpster fire, then there is a, a chance to find some optimism in an already beaten down stock. But um, outside of the banks, I do think there are a couple industries that definitely present a lot of opportunity for more upside. And the challenge is, you know, looking at the market right now, uh, the tech sector and especially cloud businesses, SaaS, that space is been on such a rally that, you know, I think it's easy to think that those continue to benefit from the current landscape, but they've run up so much that it's hard 
to to feel like now is a good time to be long, but also I think it's it's a little unrealistic to to be looking for a major pullback and miss out on uh, potentially you know continued rally. So you know one space that kind of keeps pumping um, to to a, a pretty impressive degree is the EV space um, again with Tesla. Uh, just blowing past, you know, most uh, uh, big round numbers there up over 100 um, percent. Well, about 100 percent from when Elon Musk made his uh, stock price too high IMO tweet. And, you know, while premiums are through the roof for Tesla, hard to make play there, especially considering the theta decay. Um, even though some some lone ranger out there or, or group uh, made some incredibly high risk reward uh, call plays on Thursday that ended up paying off to the tune of a 200 bagger um, with some uh, zero data expiration calls the $1,500 um, strike. I'm not necessarily trying to play Tesla, but I think there is a lot of opportunity in other stocks, even though many of them have rallied pretty hard. I think NEO is one that presents an opportunity to just continue pumping um, based on its strong performance. And, and what we've seen the last couple of weeks is that I think a safer play, if you're looking on a short term, is that momentum play. Even if something has already run up so much, a lot of these stocks that have moved well past their previous uh, all-time high or um, their previous 2020 high basically have no upper resistance and the FOMO level is through the roof right now it seems like with a lot of these plays uh, so I'm certainly not trying to short Tesla or any of those uh, stocks and if you can't beat them then join them and I think um, NEO combines both that EV space with um, the insane pumping that's going on in China and we'll get into that with some of our macro thoughts in a bit here uh, but I definitely think there is uh, plenty of wind in the sales for NEO after uh, quite a bit of consolidation and accumulation around this $15 price point. So um, I've seen some, some crazy price targets there up to 100 by year end, which I don't think that's realistic, but I think that's a good play for the rest of the week. Um, and ba basically, as I mentioned earlier, if the finance uh, industry is able to pick it up and we get some healthy rotation here, then I think value all of a sudden becomes a space that presents some, some real immediate term upside. Um, also in the energy space based on how decimated those industries are. But um, I guess it doesn't matter what the ticker is. If it's cheap and people are buying, then it could easily run. Um, and if they don't participate, which they haven't, then I think it's reasonable to, to see the same, you know, half uh, a dozen to a dozen stocks just rotate between one another and continue to hit all-time highs. So, you know, that's really the FANG MG stocks with, again, Amazon having a huge week, Netflix setting in an all-time high. Um, one stock in that group that I think definitely has some upside is Google. Uh, we'll be watching them. They haven't uh, busted out nearly the same way as the rest of them. Um, but it just does seem more likely that those tech stocks are just going to continue moving higher um, while the rest of the traditional market, basically any company that was formed before 1990, uh, continues to, to sort of languish. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, with that, that particular industry, the NASDAQ being so overextended and, you know, despite signs that, that we're going to get some help from elsewhere, you know, it hasn't come so far. There is also uh, the potential that earnings season here ends up taking a lot of the wind out of the sales and we get, you know, either a healthy pullback or looking way out into the election where there is already a high expected jump in the volatility um, a either you know low around that period or a launching pad to to all time highs depending on who the presidential pick I think seem to be uh, the the two likely scenarios um, but 
before I get into some specific uh, picks there, I did want to get some more of your thoughts and maybe we can hit some news here and then I'll just run down some plays for, for the week ahead, even though I hit a few already there. Yeah, like uh, a couple of your comments registered with me. So the after 1991 on companies kind of uh, going up, up and away, I totally agree with you. I mean, it seems like anything that's kind of in the tech space, um, it is not kind of an old established brand or in that value space um, has gone off the charts. I mean, to get even more specific, every IPO during this market seems like it's done extremely well. You know, you think about DraftKings, which we had talked about. I think IPO'd in the mid-teens and ran all the way up to 40. It's like a $32 stock now. One that I've been watching, Lemonade, which is you know, kind of your classic insurance company, online insurance. You know, they, they claim to differentiate and do a couple things well. You know, that's a company that does whatever, $67 million in revenue and is now trading at a $4.7 billion market cap. Uh, you, know, you talked about Neo. You know, I, I think it's worth kind of hitting on that uh, Bloomberg article you sent me about um, China and how, what they've done to pump the stock market there with retail investors. Um, that to me is an enormous story, right? Uh, they are, you know, the, if we had an organic bubble here, there's a kind of state run uh, government mandated bubble in China. So watching all those stocks run up and, you know, we've talked, we've on this podcast been short FXI and some other Chinese stocks. And we've, we've watched all of them go on monster bull runs. Now, the only explanation I can think of, is uh, China essentially telling retail investors to buy stocks. And of course, as that Bloomberg article mentioned, which we can link in the show notes, uh, retail investors play a much larger role in China than they do in the United States. So you could expect the government you know, telling people what to do to have a, a much larger impact there. So that's pretty worrisome to me, especially on the other side, you're reading that phase two of the, the China trade deal is definitely not going to happen. And it's obvious to anyone with a pulse that U.S. and China have a souring relationship that seems to be getting worse by the day. Um, so, yeah, I'd swing it back to you. What are your thoughts on uh, both stock markets running up um, in the midst of obviously bad news for the relationship between the two countries? Yeah, and there's been a couple of pieces of news that came out this week that were extremely eye-opening, definitely eyes emoji uh, quality um, pieces of information there that I feel like the uh, market otherwise did not even uh, acknowledge. And for the most part, the market seems ambivalent already to any COVID news. Um, so, you know, as far as looking at what the landscape is for, you know, macro things that could affect the market, not too much has changed. However, we, we did get some news uh, at the end of the week that um, Trump says the U.S.-China relationship, which is obviously damaged, has put uh, the likelihood of a phase two trade deal in jeopardy, basically looking like that's not going to happen. Um, however, in China, as you mentioned, what we're seeing is a significant amount of retail investment. And I wouldn't go so far as to say it matters more there than it does here. I think we have a situation where retail is definitely driving a huge speculative bubble in both economies. Um, but well, while there is an outright war with China, I mean, as, as I mentioned before, ostensibly from sort of a political standpoint and the rhetoric, you know, they are the enemy. So it would make sense that the uh, economic front would be one that's pretty heavily contested. So if you're in a situation where there's a lot of cheap debt, consumer debt being made available to uh, Chinese investors, so um, anyone, you know, with a couple bucks can start throwing it in on Chinese stocks, then there is a ton of uh, a big reason for the U.S. government to do just 
the same thing. So I think we're going to continue to see both markets pumping just because there's too much at stake here uh, with Chinese continuing to devalue the yuan. Uh, to create um, a more favorable situation with the trade imbalance, um, which is something that fortunately seems to be helping us stave off uh, crazy inflation of the U.S. dollar. But we're basically in a race to print more money, and whoever lets up first runs the risk of you know faltering from an equity standpoint uh, and potentially changing you know or shifting the scales on the global geopolitical landscape. But for the time being, I think with that in mind, there's there's definitely more pumping to go on both sides and i think calling top here uh is is pretty futile until you see it until something actually happens that precipitates big drop so on both sides i think the stocks that have continued pumping made new all-time highs are going to continue just going higher because there will be so much more uh liquidity available based on those retail investors even if a lot of institutional investors and hedge funds uh, are standing off to the sideline you know even if it doesn't fit your model or your thesis there's there's so much money to be made there just on these speculative bubbles even if you know it doesn't look like a great long-term play at least in the short-term time frame here and for you know looking at some some short uh, options plays. Um, I've pretty much flipped completely as far as you know whether it's worth going in on Chinese companies and major pie in the face of the GSX one short we called out. It's more than doubled uh, since then, and I can uh, take that pie in the face a little better knowing that Citron and, and whoever's taken out millions and millions of dollars of in the money puts um, that are now probably worthless has probably gotten it a lot worse. I haven't checked the OI if those are still open there, um, but there continues to be some more uh, Chinese stocks in the periphery. Um, that will, will be options, and I'll be watching sort of the, the flow and the tape there. But PDD, Billy, JD, Baba, all have been absolutely uh, pumping and will continue to. But um, I think NEO, at least from that, that group of Chinese stocks, definitely has the attention of a lot of the, these retail investors and certainly my attention as well. Yeah, we're, before we close that discussion, uh, want to mention one thing that Bloomberg article uh, brings to light is this has actually happened in China before. So in 2014, um, China's equity markets had a huge run up, um, in part led by state media kind of reviving interest in the stock market. So the article reads, the result was a debt-fueled speculative bubble that burst five years ago, wiping out $5 trillion of value. The fallout triggered regulatory clampdowns on speculative and insider trading. Um, that said, the article goes on to say later, um, and this is a quote from Roger Lin, a 45-year-old entrepreneur who runs a trading company in the southeast port uh, city of Yemen. Regulators will keep things in check to maintain a slow bull market. Uh, I'm confident they'll be able to exit just before the market slump, he said. You can do that as long as you're not too greedy. So I, I recommend everyone listening check out this article. Uh, it's from July 8th in Bloomberg. <laughs> the title of the article is literally, No Way I Can Lose Inside China's Stock Market Frenzy. But just reading stuff like this, it's like, the United States thinks it has a retail trader problem with, you know, David Day Trader Global and kind of the retail trader friendly frenzy here. You know, we're reading quotes in China that people expect the government <laughs> to, to regulate this and to make sure the market keeps going up. So I'm actually more concerned about China's equity market than I am about ours right now. But at the same time, I mean, there's just so much risk of shorting it, um, if only to, to have some of these plays squeeze in your face like GSX, which, you know, defies logic as far as there's no fundamental basis there for, for why that stock is going up. But with a heavy short interest uh, and a significant amount of short covering, then there's the potential that those can just keep running higher and higher and higher. 
And so we're, we're not any closer to getting any actual uh, audits or SEC quality uh, look into the books of these Chinese companies. So for the time being, it's still a massively uh, lucrative speculative play, not just for the Chinese market, but over here as well. And I think if they do have more retail investors uh, domestically that are willing to jump into their stocks and potentially creating a new market for them uh, for, for equities, I think there is um, less of a, a bargaining chip there for the U.S. as far as you know, threatening to, to kick them out of uh, Wall Street based on the, the lack of, of you know, financial reporting there. So while, while you know, it's hard to justify any of these valuations and just looking at these charts, they look kind of like classic pump and dump plays like NEO. Um, until there is that, that moment or that uh, faltering where um, that, that sentiment has changed, you know, they're just going to continue moving up. And I certainly don't mean to say that in stocks only go up uh, terms here, but um, it's, it's uh, calling the top a uh, 50% to go on some of these plays is, has proven that it's certainly not profitable to, to think that even if they were overpriced then and overpriced now, um, that anything Thing will change as far as a major sell-off or correction in major price discovery. Makes sense. Um, yeah, I want to get to your pick shortly. Um, other significant macro news. I mean, we could talk about COVID all day, so I'm going to sideline that for a bit. But I thought you uh, posted a really interesting article in our show notes. So uh, Fed withdrawing from the repo market or actually fully withdrew. So the Fed was a major purchaser in the repo market. Uh, for, since COVID started, I believe, or actually even probably prior to that. I mean, the repo market was having major issues um, even pre-COVID, but now it seems like they're completely out. So what do you make of that news? And that's another piece that I was amazed that there was little discussion on Twitter or elsewhere, any of the corners of the internet um, that I tend to to retreat to. But um, there are so many different vehicles. I think that uh, the Fed or at least, um, you know, different national uh, vehicles can can affect uh, you know the the stock market. Obviously, they, there's still the ability to buy ETFs and and bonds, which um, you know certainly if there is a sell off, you're going to see some degree of backstopping there. But I think this is a significant, if if to be read for face value, a significant indication that this market is functioning at a healthy level or one that the Fed deems healthy enough where they can step back. Um, it seems a little hard to believe, considering you know a lot of the the economic uh, or the dissonance here between what's going on in Main Street and Wall Street. But for the time being, um, stocks and equities are so disconnected from Main Street that um, it, it doesn't matter at the moment. And so, if there is a significant retail influx here, that's you know helping to support um, a lot of these stocks, and with many of them returning to uh, prices close to before the, the COVID crash, then I think the, the, the best way to read into this is seeing it as a very optimistic piece of information. Um, but I think the, the more cynical investor is probably going to read between the lines and say, I mean, this is maybe just a, a headline or a piece of news, um, trying to yet again sort of give an indication that all is well, nothing to worry about here, uh, and pump the markets. But um, you know, there there is several different financial machinations that can certainly help prop up 
um, a struggling market. And if, if earnings prove to be um, a lot worse than expected, do we see repo come back on? I mean, just because it's, they've withdrawn now does not mean they could re-enter at any point in time. I don't recall seeing anything saying that um, they plan to stay up for any period of time. But um, it's, it's more of a short-term move here than, than anything else. So I think it's more noise than news, but it surprises me that this is not, not more news than it is. I agree. Uh, I would sell it to myself as massively bullish for banks and we'll probably use this as a reason to buy more Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Those are two positions that have killed me, but I remain bullish on and hopefully this week uh, gets me back in the game on both of them. We talked a bit about uh, options plays around the banks, but you got a ton of other ones. So let's get into some of your picks for the week. Yeah. So Looking at the week ahead, like I mentioned at the top of the show here, I definitely think there is a, a good safe play. Well, maybe safe is a relative term here, um, but with low cost premiums and pretty cheap targets, um, you can play some some weekly plays here on the banks um, with without much risk of of you know losing your shirt quite the same way you would with a, a Tesla weekly or something like an Amazon weekly. Um, so I, I think it's definitely um, worth throwing um, a couple bucks at some XLF weeklies here, uh, targeting a gap fill around 2519 if we do see some some positive movement uh, around earnings. And I say safe on these just because these have been beaten down so much that it's hard to think that you won't quickly come into a demand area, um, especially some more um, forward-looking value investors, such as yourself, seeing that as potentially, you know, not a once-in-a-lifetime, but once-in-a-long-time opportunity to get in on what are very institutional plays here that will continue to be around and will continue to be, to some degree, backstopped if things do get worse. Um, but out of the, the uh, smorgasbord of bank plays there, obviously XLF is the easiest way to get exposure on all of them. Them. I think Bank of America stands out. Um, they got better margins than most of their bank peers. Saw a significant amount of bullish call activity on Friday. Also cheaper price, so cheaper um, premiums there if you are uh, working with a smaller capital position as an options trader. Uh, and apparently better profit margin than Apple in higher dividend, which I was, I was not aware of. It's kind of surprising, but hey. Um, so the weekly chart does like, look like it's poised to pop, but it's still under the 30-week um, SMA there. So, you know, there could be an upside of $26.5 this week on good earnings. Um, so big if there, but it does seem like the sentiment is very much behind uh, a big move from, from Bank of America. And it seems like there's less risk to the upside, even though, you know, that may be um, some, some optimistic thinking there. Um, but also in the bank space, I really like uh, Goldman Sachs and, and JPM. Um, the investment banks seen quite a bit of, of bullish flow there, and I think that there's um, you know more more opportunity there than certainly with Wells Fargo. Um, but in the entire bank space, it, they're they're due for a rotation. So if it's going to happen now, now would be the time. So if you're bullish on banks, I definitely think there's a, a good time to get in right now. We're worth mentioning quickly here that uh, the Oracle of Omaha has a ton of exposure to Bank of America as well as several other banks, including Wells Fargo. Um, so if we see banks rally, I would expect Berkshire to catch up in the race against uh, John's QQQ, but uh, we'll see. And a, a quick comment there. It's, it's kind of amazing how poorly uh, Berkshire has done considering how much of their portfolio is made up of Apple. So, you know, I, I'm in a position to recommend, you know, uh, Berkshire as a great play just because you can get a ton of cheap exposure to Apple at that price relative to 
uh, just buying Apple there or getting one of the other indexes. So, you know, it, it, you've been doing so poorly in that bet that I think it's finally time to start looking at Berkshire as a great way to, you know, make the same play as the NASDAQ would, but at a much lower price um, based on, on what it's trading at. But, you know, these dinosaur stocks certainly are not as exciting and not as um, meme worthy as some of the other tech ones, but uh, I think definitely present a more rational uh, opportunity to, to do some investing in the short term. And I can get into some of these other tech plays that, you know, have already run so much that, you know, it's, it's hard to think that there's, you know, uncapped upside. But like I mentioned before, there's a lot more momentum plays that, that definitely um, get my antennae standing up. Yeah. One more thing with Berkshire too is uh, in terms of why the massive surge in Apple hasn't really helped the stock. The only thing I can think of well, two things, actually. The first is that people are scared to death of the private portfolio and think they've had to support the equity um, in private and that will come out on, in a future filing. Uh, but again, they, they have a bunch of non-public companies in that portfolio, and we really don't know how they're doing, most of them being insurance. And I think how COVID is going to affect the insurance industry is, is still unknown. There was a big Wall Street Journal article a couple weeks ago about how the insurance companies are trying to... Uh, trying to claim that a force majeure event doesn't include a pandemic, so they don't actually have to pay out on pandemics. I think that's a pretty hard sell, uh, but we'll see what happens there. The other thing with Berkshire is, you know, our boy Bill Ackman actually came out and said he had sold his Berkshire position because he doesn't believe that Warren Buffett can deploy the amount of capital he has for the opportunity he's interested in as quickly as Pershing Square, uh, his company, could. I mean, we did see, obviously, uh, Buffett deploy some capital with the Dominion deal, Obviously, it was a, a pretty small amount relative to their cash pile. Um, but I think people think there's not a whole lot for Buffett to do considering what he's interested in and uh, what valuations in the market are like right now. Uh, all that said, uh, you know, since our bet started, I have actually increased my Berkshire position in my portfolio. So I, I remain hyper bullish on the stock. Um, I, I think we see this every couple of years. You know, the, the old is out and the new is in. But value uh, historically has outperformed. Uh, things with low PEs tend to go up over the long term, more so than things with high PEs. So I'm sticking to my guns in my Berkshire position. Yeah, and I, uh, for for the amount of SmackDown that's been delivered on that particular bet, I, I certainly am still uh, a, a fan of Warren Buffett and still believe that long term, I think that fundamentals will will begin to come into play, whether it's this year, next year, who even knows, um, potentially after some of these earnings. But I still think that, you know, if you're in for the long haul, that those are definitely better plays than getting in at some of these that are sort of at the top of uh, a massive rally. And while there's no reason to think there's a pullback, um, I, there, there's just too much uncertainty and volatility moving ahead six months to think that this is a sound long-term investment. But hey, I think there's way more fun plays for the next week. So if, if you're ready for me to get in, move off from some of these dinosaur stocks, which actually, which before I do that, another big holding of uh, Berkshire that I am actually pretty bullish on this week ahead here is Coca-Cola. Um, and part of that is because Pepsi will be reporting earnings Monday. And even though Pepsi has been performing a lot better uh, than Coca-Cola, um, in the post-COVID rally here, 
um, I see a major sympathetic play. Um, one, one hypothesis being that um, the, the COVID environment has definitely pushed consumers more towards packaged goods um, and definitely favors the portfolio of both those companies as opposed to, um, you know, r restaurant dining or fresher options, sadly. Uh, so I think there is an opportunity for both of these stocks, which have definitely not run up nearly as much as anything else, um, to show well on earnings and, you know, present an opportunity for uh, an influx of this retail money or wherever it may be um, into some of these more uh, former blue chip type stocks. But um, looking at the, the Coke chart in the end of last week, there's definitely some bullish signs there. So if Pepsi reports well, I think that could be a good play in the early start of this early part of this week. But moving on real quick into tech, I just want to hit a couple here uh, just because it is such a different landscape out there with so many of these stocks that have run up a ton. And again, Tesla proving that there is no upward bound once something has just blown past any uh, of the price ranges or um, trading values that we're familiar with. So one I had mentioned already was NEO. Um, it's already been on a crazy run. I remember trying to get some puts on that around $4 and here we are at 15. Um, also did get some calls around $7, but, uh, it looks like with a little bit of pullback Friday, um, there's been a significant amount of accumulation and consolidation at that $15 range. So, um, this one could run just because of the, uh, crazy amount of investment. I will say, um, while we've talked about financials, I'm not as bullish about energy just because I don't see necessarily oil demand coming back. And definitely consumers or at least investors have spoken with their, their wallet here. Uh, and green technologies um, have been seeing some, some crazy run-ups and that definitely favors EVs uh, in that particular space. Um, but there, there continues to be an appetite for um, you know, a lot of different solar power companies, some hydrogen cell companies like fuel cell. Um, and that, that whole sector is still red hot and probably will continue to be um, in, in a way that I think oil, while still sort of the backbone of many economies, um, is definitely not going to you know, return to the same um, vital uh, level as before. I don't think anyone wants uh, $4.00. Um, gallons of gas again. It is kind of nice having cheaper gas and not having to sit in traffic because people aren't commuting. So I think this is a good example where um, oil continuing to be depressed is definitely in everyone's best interest unless you're um, Warren Buffett or any of the other investors that are, you know, getting all, all but hurt, not, not getting your dividend payments. Um, I, had a, but, I had a quick question on the subject before we go on. So to me, it is obvious that we are in an EV bubble now. Uh, I think Tesla 1500, I didn't think we would see for 10 years. You know, I, I, it's worth noting that I like, you know, we used to talk about this. I was the biggest of Tesla bulls when Tesla was, you know, uh, a $100, $200 stock. Um, I started to get nervous when the thing ran up to like 400 or 500. So now we're 3x that. Um, my question, though, is generally about bubbles in general and what trading opportunities exist when you see uh, companies in this space run up a ton and then there's a bunch of follow-on SPACs and IPOs. So in the EV space, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that, uh, was it the, the Spartan or the, the SPAC that bought Fisker um, is going to go public? You know, there's, there's been NEO. Uh, I think there was another one you mentioned on, on a previous show. Similarly, in the, uh, in the sports gambling space, I mean, we've talked about Golden Nugget, which is a stock going public. Um, that will, or I think it's actually part of a SPAC, but that will follow DraftKings. 
So do you think when you see these follow-on offerings that are similar to something that's run up a bit, do you want to trade them opportunistically? Um, is it worth getting involved in something like a SPAC that purchases a, uh, a company that's in a hot sector? Well, right now, it is kind of impressive, the return on investment of SPACs, and that particular SPAC that you mentioned is SPAC, S-P-A-Q, uh, which you know has announced that um, Fisker acquisition, well, I guess it hasn't officially been announced, but is rumored. And so, I mean, th- this has every calling card of a speculative bubble with SPACs being uh, having these crazy run-ups um, based purely on rumor there. And that's something we saw with VTIQ prior to um, uh, going official with uh, the Nikola acquisition. Um, and Golden Nugget LCA, uh, another SPAC um, that will be bringing to market to, uh, Tillman Fertitta's gambling company, I think presents an interesting opportunity. Um, the, the timing here is just great for a lot of these spaces. There's a lot of optimism and bullishness around betting and particularly around electric vehicles. Um, Shell, S-H-L-L, is another SPAC, um, which appears to be tied up with uh, Hylion. We mentioned that on uh, last week's show, a Texas company that is in the uh, EV space for EV semis. And, you know, there, there's a good narrative there, but with any of th- those plays, as with Tesla, um, there is still not really that profitability story, or at least uh, from a fundamental standpoint, anything to back it up. But that's sort of what a speculative bubble is based on. What could it be? So until that investor sentiment changes or, you know, for example, any any type of, um, you know, accounting irregularities uh, that might be found with someone like Tesla um, could take the whole thing down in an instant. So I think there's great short term trading opportunities. And with some of these um, add on or new uh, IPOs in the same space that are clearly trying to capitalize on how hot this market is, um, you know, you can't discount the possibility that those are going to continue running up in the short term. But um, am I trying to buy and hold any Nikola? Absolutely not. But I think there is, um, you know, some value to uh, staking your flag on one of these SPACs, seeing, um, you know, the, the amount of uh, frenzy and sort of froth um, that happens around um, that go live point is the new company. So do I believe in this longer term? Uh, I mean, this could continue for another six months for all we know, but um, I think we know enough about history and speculative bubbles to know that there is certainly inflated valuations here and a ton of risk moving forward. So if you miss that chance to get in early on a SPAC or something, definitely do not be piling in at the top because the, the issue is that you're, for the most part, investors are going to be uh, in, a, in a position as a bag holder, if you are looking to make a quick buck or, um, which I am, <laughs> but I'm not trying to hold this. So if you don't have a plan to sell or an exit point, then you're going to get caught up in that frenzy and be way out of position once it starts selling off, which happens extremely quickly. So there, there's at least at this point, a lot to indicate um, some very short term uh, parabolic moves in that space. And I don't think there's any reason to think that it's any cooler, especially with Tesla's performance in that space, and especially the performance from Penn and DraftKings, which is actually pulled back with the warrants uh, expiring. I think that's a great play moving forward. Um, but, you know, to, to, to look at something like Lemonade, I think there, as we've talked about before, uh, a lot of glaring issues there, both from a fundamental standpoint and also just, you know, vapor 
Tupperware standpoint, where uh, with a company like Nikla, you know, it's worth $40 billion or, or so based on basically two Photoshopped images. And so there will come a point in time, uh, a, a moment of reckoning for a lot of these growth stocks. And I don't even know if you can call them growth stocks, uh, a what could it be uh, type stock um, where there needs to be a show me moment. And I think the template from someone like uh, Elon Musk is if you've got an exciting enough technology and you can you know put together enough whiz bang uh forward-looking visions of what your company could be then you can certainly string along investors so for the time being you know there there is that opportunity but i definitely would not stake a significant part of your part of your portfolio in in any of these plays um or you know one of these specs i think probably has the best chance of actually returning on investment long term um but there that's not without its its risk you're basically in order to get a good value there have to get in before an acquisition has been confirmed uh, and there's no guarantee that that acquisition will happen. Um, so none, none of this is without risk and that, that always needs to be said. But I think in a, a short enough time frame, if you can find the right entrance on a pullback, um, these definitely present the best opportunity for some significant short-term gains. And I don't think you can turn your back on that. I agree. Yeah. I think with bubbles, everyone, the consensus opinion is always to say, don't even try it, right? There's going to be a pullback. You don't want to get caught on the wrong end of the trade. Uh, I was thinking recently about the run-up in crypto and blockchain and that whole space and marijuana stocks is a close parallel for what we're seeing with EVs and sports gambling. I mean, with crypto, it felt like everybody say, was saying that was a bubble all the way from 2015 to whenever kind of the top was put in on Bitcoin, uh, to, what if he had 2018 or 2019. Um, so I think the top on bubbles always comes six months to a year, probably later than most people expect. Obviously, it differs a ton, and I haven't done any research on this to, to back up that claim. Um, but I, I'm intrigued by trying to trade bubbles because I, I think people are generally very, very early on the, the top was put in type calls. Like I wouldn't, ex I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a Tesla run to 2000 or more. Uh, I don't think anyone is, I mean, people have been trying to call the top on Tesla since it was a $300 stock, uh, probably even earlier than that. So I, I like your answer there. Uh, trade at your own risk. But I do, I, I agree with you. There is opportunity if your time frame is short enough. And what's unique about this environment, I don't know if it's unique, I'm sure that we've definitely seen this at times in the past, is that the, the, the hopium factor in terms of um, justifying some of these crazy prices is uh, being, being weighed so much more heavily than any of the fundamentals. So in that example you gave with marijuana stocks, part of the issue was uh, they grew so fast, but then you could see all of the issues with that on the balance sheet, not actually having um, a market there due to slower legalization than expected. Uh, so even though you had this capacity that was ramping up, the retail outlets or channels that you had to actually sell just didn't exist. And so we've seen a significant scaling back in that space. But that is a, an industry that definitely has more of a a you know fundamental view of how to to look at and value these stocks and there's still plenty of speculation with some of those plays like Tilray uh, in in terms of what they could be if there's legalization but you actually have enough numbers and sales there to say you know I think that the, the this crazy run up here is is definitely uh, about to come crashing down considering how weak the cash flow situation is here but we have industries where if if you don't have a product or profitability 
coffee uh, that's going to be coming anytime soon, you know, you have to come up with a different metric at least to get some type of fundamental uh, idea for is this price justified? And it really just doesn't exist in, in a lot of cases, you know, particularly with something like a company like Nikola that, you know, won't even have any revenue to speak of until next year. So for the time being, and we, we've seen the, the price target upgraded last week, just based purely on, on valuation. So right now working with absolutely nothing, there's, you can justify price, prices going higher based on nothing. And I think a lot of fundamental and value investors um, have definitely been scratching their heads and probably feeling like, uh, you know, maybe I've just been getting lucky or, or the system doesn't work based on how the market is not responding to, to any of that. And I think it just opens up the, the potential for uh, higher and higher run-ups on, on a lot of these stocks just because, again, there, there isn't really an earnings or or a balance sheet perspective that can even be provided. Um, so if it's it's gone viral on the internet and you have the opportunity for you know Robin Track or Robin Hood traders to be to be getting in there, then there will be you know a significant amount of dollars if it's you know public facing and uh, memeable enough. So um, we we know what speculative bubbles look like, but being in this post COVID market, I think you need to combine that there is bubbles within bubbles. Uh, that are propping up other bubbles. And so there, there is sort of this codependency on bubbles in you know, the EV space and in, in tech um, that have now basically become the blue chips in, in the industry. And so uh, at some point that no longer becomes a bubble, but uh, in, in some ways, you know, the, the backbone of, of our, our stock market. So I definitely find that to be very concerning and a very precarious position, even from, you know, very short term trading timeframe. Um, but across the board, there is not really a great you know, position to go long on, on any of these stocks, um, you know, so I feel bad for you in terms of how do I add to my portfolio, but I think, that, you know, we can continue just riding that wave un until proved otherwise. I mean, I, I never thought I would see the day when I, I would say Tesla is relatively fairly valued among a group of EV automakers and Nikola, you can't even call them a maker because they don't make anything. So I mean, you look at Nikola, you look at Workhorse, you look at Neo. I think all of those are, compared to Tesla, are absurdly overvalued. And I think Tesla's overvalued, but at least they they have products in the pipeline. They have best they have the best selling EV on the market. Um, you know, they're they're further along in terms of um, autonomy and you know driverless vehicles than anyone else. So I think Tesla will continue to execute. Is it a fifteen hundred dollars stock? Probably not, but. Um, they're well capitalized. The bankruptcy risk is pretty much off the table. So uh, I think some of the run-up has been justified by good news, not necessarily by cash flow, but the, the company has done well. Can't say the same for, for Neo, uh, Workhorse, or Nikola. So the bubble within bubble thing, I, I think, is, a, is well said, right? Like uh, Tesla was the original bubble, and somehow we got these three other EV guys who have done nothing, yet somehow have these extremely expensive stocks. And, you know, final thought here on Tesla before just running through the rest of the plays coming up. It's it is amazing that this run up begets more success, because I think at this point uh, there's added speculation about inclusion into the S&P 500. Uh, so I don't have the figure in front of me, but if it were to be included in the S&P 500, uh, the amount of, of buying that would go on um, to add it to. Uh, each of those ETFs would would present just even more significant demand. So um, even some of the the, the 
most insane moonshot price targets, something like 2,500 um, for, for Tesla stock, all of a sudden have a, a roadmap there. None of it's really backed by, uh, you know, any of the fundamentals, but in terms of the price action and what we're seeing and the demand, you know, there, there's only um, green arrows pointing up for, for the time being. Um, so if you're trying to short Tesla, that's definitely trying to pick up a penny in front of a steamroller. Um, but I think we can all agree that there is some time in the future where there is at least a pullback or some type of, of correction on price. But uh, certainly none of us are trying to step in front of that buzzsaw. Anything else you want to talk about outside of the EV space? Yeah, so to run through real quick, um, a couple stocks that, that I'm going to be watching in the week ahead, uh, one of which is Roku, which has been on an absolute tear uh, we've definitely seen some big moves in um, the last couple of weeks and has certainly been on a lot of people's radar, but um, closing at an all-time high on Friday, um, here's another play where I expect momentum traders to just jump in and continue carrying it higher. And so once something has moved above its all-time high, uh, from a technical standpoint, you really don't have an overhead resistance level. It hasn't traded at that range before. Um, so once it moves past that number, it's going to keep going. It will turn back at some point, but but there, there's no, no clear indication, you know, maybe you could draw some Fibonacci retracements on there. Uh, but Roku is a perfect example of a, a, a July 2020 stock here where uh, success begets more success. And I've seen a heavy amount of uh, call buying both Friday and really all week and all week before that, especially with a little bit of a pullback. Uh, and it looks like a lot of those calls are targeting a 170 or 180 range um, by next Friday, the 17th, OPEX. Um, potentially as high as 200 uh, the following week. Uh, another stock that has, has definitely been a meme in the past is Space. Uh, we saw it touch $20. And if you look at the chart, definitely looks like a, a crypto um, or a crypto-esque chart there in, in that in February, it just absolutely went parabolic, um, pumping to $35 before falling off. And it's just traded in this $15 to $20 range. Um, so it's been pretty reliable, short at 20, be long at 15. Um, but considering the current environment, um, if it can push through $20 with volume, which has been sort of that, that recent overhead resistance, um, that could trigger a massive short squeeze with over 77% short interest. So um, I think it's more realistic or definitely um, a possibility that it could see that $35 number again or some, some type of similar, similar behavior. Uh, it, and this is yet another stock with no revenue. So, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any real world or uh, materially significant scenario that could really hold it back from doing that. Um, so, you know, it pains me to say that, but it just does seem like a great bullish play. Again, if we can see um, it push past 20 with some, some volume and a sustained move there. Uh, the 77% short interest on that has me excited. We just need Richard Branson to come out and say they developed a new spacecraft or something, send the stock flying. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the, the more telegenic uh, CEOs out there. So we should take a page out of Elon's book and, and maybe smoke a joint on the Joe Rogan experience. And then we'll definitely see space um, break up to new all-time highs inexplicably. Um, and, and moving on here, uh, one, one stock I'm watching, this is an ER play. So trying to play the, the run-up here as opposed to actual earnings. But TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor. Uh, company. Um, this is play based on the strength of chip stocks. We saw AMD have a great week. C could continue well past that $60 uh, price target. 
Um, and we've also seen NVIDIA set an all-time high. So uh, TSM is the foundry that makes the chips for um, those companies. And so if business is good for them, that means that business is good for, for TSM. So uh, the chart looks good and definitely could see them uh, running up prior to their earnings on Thursday. Um, in the tech space play I'm looking at here, Adobe um, with some massive call buying on Friday, uh, over $20 million of uh, way in the money uh, September calls and generally those look more like a hedge um, than a, a momentum or swing play but there was close to a million dollar uh, order on um, some of the weeklies for the following week um, so Adobe in a strong uptrend in that hot space one that we've talked about before SAS um, so I definitely you know like the the story around that and we have from a technical standpoint a MACD convergence uh, on the histogram just turned positive. So all the signs are there for um, that uptrend to continue for Adobe uh, in the week ahead. Um, and some more moonshot place here. You always got to have that biotech pump and dump. Uh, and one is BMRA, uh, BioAmerica. Uh, the play here is they apparently have a COVID test that is waiting on FDA approval. I guess there is an expectation of news early this week, and this is a test that would be able to do uh, mass scale antibody testing. I guess they already have a pinprick test. Um, and as we've seen with any of these bio stocks, um, they're more prone to pump and dump than any other one. Um, but apparently BMR at BioAmerica also has a, an edible uh, IBS uh, test. So I see more of, you know, definitely a long-term uh, story around here, uh, trading it around, um, I think 860. So break above nine bucks um, could definitely run. And if there is a news piece here, um, I think that, you know, some, some crazy price targets all of a sudden become in the conversation. Uh, so that's one to keep on your radar. Um, and then to close out some, some picks for the, the upcoming week, um, we've talked about precious metals in the past. And I think that um, with a huge rally from gold uh, last week, it looked like we were entering some type of risk off uh, scenario, but gold had a decisive breakthrough of 1800 and since cooled off but it looks like silver uh, which has also been um, uh, very bullish now is a chance to break out from its inverted head and shoulders pattern um, called out silver in the past but targeting upside of you know somewhere around $26 for the SLV uh, ticker there which tracks the silver spot price but at a slightly different number um, and the the metal space continues to be one that uh, I'm bullish on regardless of whether there is any change in COVID news that continue to perform well um, and would perform even better if we see some type of monetary issue or rapid inflation some type of risk off people seeking a safe haven outside of equities. Um, so there's definitely a big story around that. And that story extends to miners. Um, so a couple names, GDX, NEM, uh, are two miners out there, gold miners. Um, and I know some people out there like to play JNUG, which is a leveraged junior miners ETF. But uh, these continue to be good plays on dips. Uh, and certainly the material space or precious metal space can be volatile. So after a big run, you know, give it a few days and you'll have a much better entrance. And the uh, hypothesis or thesis there is still the same. So you can be confident that there's some upward movement. And a moonshot play here, OCO. Uh, they are um, watching for, or I'm watching for a potential buyout for one of the biggest copper mines in the world. Um, so that's a big time sleeper there in the mineral space. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, if we uh, actually do see some, you know, textbook uh, bull market um, 
sector rotation, then minerals and materials are definitely one area that stands to uh, be the beneficiary of that rotation. So especially if a deal goes through there, OCO is, is one to watch. Um, and just running through real quick, some earnings this week that I'm watching. One I already mentioned, Pepsi reports Monday morning before earnings. Uh, and then we got three big banks coming on Tuesday with JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citibank. Uh, Delta Airlines Tuesday morning, and then Goldman Sachs, another bank, Wednesday uh, morning. And we've got Domino's Pizza Thursday morning, one that I'm not necessarily playing, but I think should be an interesting perspective on consumer health uh, this far into the, the COVID uh, era as far as how consumers are, are responding to continue um, maybe not quarantine, but isolation or just not being in their normal routine. Um, the big bank one that we're watching, Bank of America Thursday morning, a uh, couple big biomed uh, earnings on Thursday morning with uh, Johnson & Johnson and Abbott. Uh, we got some more banks Thursday morning as well, Morgan Stanley and Schwab. Uh, TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, you know, one of the ones I'm definitely watching is Thursday morning. And then a big one I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet uh, is Netflix coming on Thursday afternoon. Um, and here's an interesting one. Um, I think that Netflix definitely has a chance to run up even further with a you know commanding move on Friday, pushing past, setting new all-time highs. But this will be an interesting one, one of these COVID defensives that's definitely benefited from the stay-at-home situation, um, but have also stated that it's it's a crapshoot trying to give guidance, basically said, you know, it's too, too unpredictable. So I will be very interested to see how, even if they do post uh, good earnings, um, you know, without uh, meaningful guidance to work off of. How is that? How, how does the market respond to that? Because they've been on such a, a crazy run up since the last time uh, they made earnings that I feel like what we've seen at least recently is even after um, a pretty good earnings report, a big run up seems to spell disaster or a sell off following classic buy the rumor and sell the news. So, you know, Netflix, I think they have been seeding the potential for an underwhelming earnings here. Um, and will the market respond to that? Because I think that sets the tone for a lot of the FANG stacks or stocks that will be coming up uh, in the following weeks. So um, certainly hard to be uh, entering a very bullish position um, for earnings there, but I think that'll be a great litmus test for how some of the other big boys that are coming in the following weeks as, as earnings season ramps up um, are bound to perform. Yep, absolutely huge earnings week. I'm super excited. Expect to see a couple stock talking posts across the wire. I'm excited to do write-ups on the banks. And I think, as you mentioned, Netflix is a really big test of the COVID defense plays. So can't wait to write about that. Before we wrap up, we do have a new Discord channel. So talk about that. And it'll give you an opportunity to talk smack directly to each of us. But uh, certainly given these plays at the beginning of the week, it's hard to also... Uh, offer some information about entries and exits. So this will be a place where we'll give you some some real-time perspective in terms of what we're thinking around these trades and how we're responding to news as it comes out. Um, you know, certainly each day that the market is open, um, yesterday's news becomes a little more obsolete. So if you want to stay up to speed with the latest and greatest as far as what the stock talking team here is interested in bullish on or bearish on as well on uh, what trades we're making, definitely feel free to join there. And if you have any questions or any topics for discussion on future shows, uh, definitely drop by the Discord and let us know what you'd like to uh, hear more about. This is probably the best way uh, to, to get your word out on, on the airwaves. And, you know, we promise to use the kid gloves and, and be extra friendly. 
We will be hanging out there. I am excited. I will send out the link in the show notes, but I can't wait to see everybody on the Discord. Sean, it's been great talking to you, buddy. As always, happy trading, Ben. Happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.